Welcome to C-Suite Radio. The Open Mic Podcast is brought to you by the Cheap Seat Entertainment Network. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. It's great to be here with you on this beautiful Bay Area day. It's actually a little bit cooler today than expected, and I'm happy about that. It's been so hot, and the fact that everything is locked up and shut down, you literally, it's almost impossible to go anywhere and do anything. And so podcasting and spending time with my son is really what has kept me sane this entire time, and talking to amazing people like our guests today. On the show today, we have Eric Roberts and his wife, Eliza, Academy Award nominee, Oscar nominee, and she is equally as talented. She is a casting director. She's his manager. She has, I mean, the whole family's involved in the industry from tip to tail. And this is a fun conversation that I am excited for you to be a part of. Eliza and Eric, welcome into the show. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here during these odd times in our lives, isn't it? It is. Well, it's great to have you both. I was excited when I learned that you both would be joining me. So we have a lot of things to talk about. But the first question, what has quarantine life been like for both of you and up to and what has been filling your time? Well, where do we start? The big difference in my daily routine is I get every day and gym is off limits since it's not safe. So, uh, so I do four exercises now. So I do a lot more stuff than I usually do because it takes more reps to do stuff I would do at the gym on the floor. So, so that, that takes my hour I come up every day, then then doing basically do everything by by way of my wife's laptop. We talk to the whole world. I talk to producers and other actors that way all day, basically. And uh, we we just have a um, have a modern life that's that's um, that's 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 not. Tam- yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So, and Eliza, what has it been like for you? I'm sure Eric is probably. <laughs> ben, is he home a lot more now than usual? Yeah, yes, he's a, a lot more. I mean, it's really, first of all, we love the effect on our animals. They seem really happy, and we feel super, super guilty leaving them ever. And now we feel worse because now they're they're really used to us being around. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And but we but you know a lot more. It's it's you know there's it, you kind of use it as sort of a retreat. Uh, you do your catch up work and the longer range projects and all that. And also, I've gotten him to watch like a million chick flicks, which has been really fun. <laughs> well, you've heard it here first, uh, folks. What are some of your favorites? I have to ask now that you brought it up. Everything from Sleepless in Seattle to The Vow. Yeah, oh, I've wow. seen them all. If you saw. Yeah, someone's got a gift. Yeah. And they're really great movies, but, but they aren't the kind of movies that you can talk a guy into going to go see the first time <laughs> out. You got to, you know, I don't know why, but... but I'm so glad I saw every one of them. No, I've been the same way. I've been stuck at home. I, I've been spending a lot more time with my son. And, uh, you know, he just turned six. And so I've been able to introduce him to some great films. He's become this, it's interesting, 
like superheroes are his thing now. So we actually watched The Dark Knight for the first time a few weeks ago, and he's somewhat self-aware of the podcast, and he thinks that you, you're you a really good bad guy. So hats off to you, sir, uh, for that uh, and having that effect on a, on a new generation of your work. Well, give him my love and respect and many thanks. You both have been in the industry for a very long time, and I consider you both to be some of the hardest working people in Hollywood, uh, at least from my perspective. And normally, like if you're in the industry and you have kids, I'll ask, you know, hey, what do your kids think of what you do? But this has all been inclusive for you. What is it like to have a full family uh, of, of entertainers and people who all share the same interests and do the same types of things? Well, let's go back a generation because my wife is from show business royalty and that her father her biological father wrote three days of a condor out of africa the way we were the firm all the streisand hits all the redford hits he wrote them and um so you know he's he's an academy award winner blah 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 and her mother wrote produced and also directed all the lucy series but the black and white ones also did a bunch of sitcom tv in the early days like like dick van dyke and all kinds of shows like that was 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 the first woman in the writer's room in television. Her name was Lila Garrett. She was a driving force in television writing for all the hit shows from uh, Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, all the hit shows that we all know. So so that's where my wife comes from. So my wife comes from showbiz royalty. So when I met her, it was just kind of hand in glove. We we just we just knew what each other was, were, and wanted. And, and enjoy each other's company. And uh, and she's cute. So no, well, there you go, right? An extra added bonus. Uh, there you go. There you go. And Eliza, from your perspective, when you first met Eric and knew who he was, what has the experience has been like from your perspective, just raising a family full of people in the entertainment industry? Well, everyone's at a different stage, you know, because you have um, Keaton, who we've been launching. Um, and that's my son who's a recording artist, Keith Buns. And then you have my daughter who is a chef and caterer and baker and um she caters movies and television and she, you know, bakes a lot of kind of high profile people and you know, she's in our business too. Um and then you have Emma and Eric and me and everybody, you know, you're either launching or you're maintaining or you're relaunching a career, it's interesting because there's so many factors. Like, you know, Keaton's last name is Simons. Would it have been different if his last name was Robert? Emma's last name is Roberts. Would it have been different if her last name wasn't Robert? You know, um, because there's so many stages to an end career. There's, there's getting to the door. There's cracking the door open. There's walking inside, and then there's staying there. And those are all very separate things, especially now where... People are often valued according to how much, how many followers they have on social media. It's so important. Also, got to remember, is the show business generation is only as long as high school. It's only four or five years long. How have you seen the industry change from when you both first started out to now? And and I would love to hear both of your perspectives. Well, where do we begin? First of all, they took away our medium. They took away film, and we worked in film. Uh, both the 16 millimeter 35 and uh, that's what we did. And when we shot on tape, it was called, 
it was because it was cheap or it was fast or it, or it was second rate. And then they took film away from us and they, and they didn't give us tape, but they gave us this the digital equivalent. And, uh, and they said, okay, make it pretty, make it artistic. And it was very ugly. It was very home movie. It was very fake looking. And we all looked like we were pretending. So from the year 2003, when it first hit us till about 2008, it was just lame looking. It was embarrassing. You had your middle-aged women you were quitting the industry because they didn't like how they looked. I mean, it was really bad. And, and uh, we also stopped having te- technicians around the cameras. We just had these kids who flipped switches. And then, and then they discovered that they could do all the color correction, all the focus after the fact. So it became a very lazy art form, really. And they, they, uh, they even stopped lighting it. They just used natural light and shoot it. Okay, that's coming on. And it became kind of a hobby as opposed to a vocation. It was really weird. And it just kind of evolved. And then from about 2008, 2018, it became kind of acceptable and kind of decent looking. And they got a camera called the Alexa and the Mini Alexa that looks fantastic as opposed to many of the others that, that, that like a home movie. But, uh, but then, then uh, we, uh, we, uh, we came back around to, uh, to realizing that it was not the same industry. It was not the same vocation. It was not the same art. It was not the same art form. So we had to adjust. Lots of us didn't. And uh, so it's just, it's just part of the evolution of filmmaking. Like, you know, go back to the days of talkies. God, that must have blown their minds out. God, we can hear people? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it's just another part of the evolution. I find it fun because now what took three months minimally once upon a time takes literally four or five days now. So there you have it. Now they take a minimal of three days to shoot. Now, from your perspective, Eliza, as a person who has done a lot of things, but as a casting director, had such a connection with the industry. From your perspective, how has things changed from that viewpoint they're a different version of what they always were like for instance in the old old studio times which was before us they would check they would see if you were box office you need to a studio do a lot of publicity and you needed fans and you could then be considered to open a movie shall we say um later it was some it was checking the box office how much money do they make the box office now it's your numbers of social media um, you now want a lot more of your personal life. They're not interested at all in just um, in just your work. Like 100%, no. Nobody cares about that. Um, they want to know your personal life. They want you to know them. They, they pretty much want, audience wants to be recognized by the artist not just to recognize the artist. The so audience wants change. to be wants to be as important to the artist as the artist is to the audience. I think that talent is talent is a bit subjective. You know, think of all the actors where ten people love that actor and ten people hate that actor. So you know, are they talented? Are they empirically talented? And some people are missing it, or are they? You know, I think that there's two different components. One is and one is magic. Like, there are people who have star quality who aren't even actors. They just, you know, they're who we consider, quote, unquote, winners. I don't categorize people that way because I think everyone has, everyone has huge value, period. There's no, no one who has more of another or less value than another person. But I think that there's, you know, there's sort of people who, they're just magnetic. And talent definitely can increase magnetism. 
Um, I think that the reason people want now to know about you, the person, and not just the work that you present, is that um, that, that we we blurred all the lines with social media, with um, with direct promotion, and with reality shows. So your believability has always been important in your work, but now it's harder to convince somebody with just a performance alone. They have to feel that somewhere in you there's something that makes that performance real. And um, but I think there's always listen. There are always gossip shows, gossip magazines. People have always been curious about famous people. That's for sure. It's interesting because you you have done, Eric, so many films and so many different roles. And just, you know, you've kind of covered the gamut. When it comes to a project and somebody pitches you a project, whether it's your manager or a studio, how do how does that process work for you? How do you decide I'm going to be a part of and that I want to do. It goes the gamut. It can be anything from, oh my God, this incredible dialogue. I have to, I have to live with this dialogue. I've played this part. To where's the location? Oh my God, I've never been there. I want to go. It can be, it can be, it can be 150 different things, and it's always a little. Uh, but things like when, uh, when, uh, when Roger Corman wanted me to make a terrible movie called Shark to Puss, and he said, what can I? <laughs> How how can I get you to make this movie? Because I turned it down. I said, well, you can my whole family up there and all my relatives up there for the whole month I'm there at the resort. Everybody gets gets everything for free for the whole month. And he said, okay, let's do that. So we did that. And, you know, so everything from those kind of silly reasons to very artistic reasons, like like I have to play this part, you know, you know before I die. And... uh I just had so much fun because I get offers every day from all over the world, and my wife just goes through them. And we have these, and we have these readers. One wants comedy, one one reads dramas, and uh, they tell us which are good and which are lame, and uh, right. that's that's how we do it all. And so, Eliza, you obviously have heavy input into this, correct? Well, as well, like deciding on what he will choose from outside of the readers. All right, Eliza's the boss. Yeah. <laughs> She's the head uh, honcho. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I I do have a lot of input. Usually, need in your camp like somebody who has a proclivity for saying yes, and a pro- and someone who has a proclivity for saying no. Every project has has aspects that make it compelling, and there's so many things that we almost didn't do that we're really glad we did do. Um, and never, I don't think we've ever walked away from a single project where we're like, oh, I'm, I so regret doing that. Do you think so, Eric? Not that I can think of. No, I don't think that's a thing. I mean, it must be a thing for other people, but I, it's really not a thing. And so, um, and so, you know, we look at all the factors, who's directing it, what's the passion, the content, the role, the location, um, you know, just tiny, minute things, the meaning, the message. Um, and I'm, I'm big for, you know, I have a big just say yes kind of thing about me. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my wife just has a just say yes thing about her. My, my wife is the glass half full lady and I'm a glass half empty guy. So we, uh, we, uh, we uh, work it out. So it makes you the perfect Hollywood couple. All joking aside, it honestly does. She's, she's completely positive and I'm half positive. So, uh, it's a nice balance. Yeah. Well, I imagine 
you know, I could just see your inbox or however you get scripts, you know, every that a lot of people want you because of who you are and the work that you've done going all the way back uh, to the very beginning because you're very recognizable. But also when we see you on screen and we're watching you perform, there's true authenticity to what you do, right? I'm just, okay, this is another project this is another thing for me to do, but there is a thoughtful process and you decide this is something that I want to be a part of. Looking back on things, I know we kind of touched on this just a little bit about no no regrets, so to speak, but have there been any yeah. points in your career where you kind of look at something and you maybe wish that you had done something a little bit different or maybe gone a different direction? It could be a project, it could be anything and and you're both welcome to to answer this i would have probably done almost everything differently than how i ended up doing it just because that's how it falls and uh but but i've just had so much fun and i've had i've had i've had the most fun since since i got married and i made my wife my manager and uh which which was not immediate that uh, that that didn't happen at the same time and uh uh, it was because I was I was at the blue chip agents who tell me about the other uh, small projects, the little the little, the little gems, and so I made I made my wife the boss and uh, let the agency go and uh, have been working nonstop ever since because they took a medium and they they replaced it with HD so everybody could afford a camera so everybody became a movie studio everybody's making movies and they're all calling me so I showed up. You have to expect regrets. You know, you have to. You can't you can't think that that's a sign of that you're doing it wrong. It's just a part of of life. Every day we can look back on yesterday and feel like we were. And 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 so we should do that with love for ourselves and for others. There's certain specific things that are kind of cool straight at a party at um at um Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy's house and and um, there ran into um, the director of an officer and a gentleman and his Helen Mirren. And he told me that he had cast Eric in that role of Richard Gere and that Eric's manager at the time would never leave them alone together. He would never let them have, you know, some time as director and actor to rehearse, to get, and he realized he couldn't do this with the pair of them. And he didn't, know whether to say anything to Eric um, to tell, you know, uh, to say, hey, Taylor Hackford, why have time with just me? Obviously, I'm the actor, so you can go home, you know? Um, and so he basically had to change the casting. Now, it's not that Richard Gere wasn't fantastic in that role, but that would have been a really nice role for Eric to do, and he would have been great in it. Sure, there's stories like that. Everyone has, you know, the things they turned down or didn't get to do. I hear these types of stories and for the average person who who watches film, like right now we're just in this time period where everybody's consuming entertainment. It's just nonstop. We're in lockdown again, right? And you watch these films yeah. and you go, you know, this is this is an interesting person for this particular role. Or you look at it and go, This is just a lot of fun. There's this back story to this particular role, but at the same time, you know, you've gone on to do some other amazing type of work that you, you can be proud of, you know, and go, this is this was a great fit for me. 
I, I wouldn't have ever known that would have happened. And I don't think I would have probably ever read about it anywhere, <laughs> you know, in any kind of any kind of entertainment media. Your daughter, Emma, we all know who she is. She's done some amazing work and some fantastic films. When he first expressed an interest or any of your children first expressed an interest in going into the entertainment industry or into film, when they decided to come to you and have these conversations and, and talk to you about uh, this potential of becoming an editor? People seem to expect when you're successful in show business and, you're, and your offspring want to go in the same industry that, oh my God, no, you can't do that. Uh, it's a, it's for us, it was the opposite. And do that? Yeah, it's a great industry. Let's go. And, uh, and you know, the industry was signed, you know, you know, to me uh, uh, from, from, from the get-go, from 1978 on. They've been very, very welcoming, very kind, very accepting of me as an actor. And then, I, and then my sister came along and became a huge star. And now, and now my daughter is, is, is also a huge star. It's really neat. <laughs> yes. Eric said that really, really well. If there was one piece of advice, this is for both of you, that you could tell the younger version of yourself that you wish somebody would have told you, what would that be? To treat everybody ever meet anywhere like they're going to be your boss next week. I, I also think you just never take anything for granted. Not, not anything. Not one dollar, not one relationship, not one role not one anything um, never take it never take it for granted and never lose your connection to the days when you wanted this so badly you could barely breathe because you know we have so many friends now who are very established and they've really forgotten and it's not going anymore and they're also unappreciative so be that person be the person who is in the place and also the person who's who could take the place that would be my advice. I love you guys. This was so fun to be able to get both of you. Talk about the Phoenix because this is a very unique and interesting topic. And uh, I haven't ever covered it on my podcast before, but I've talked about it a lot. So if you both want to talk about this and let our audience know about it, because it's very important and, and I want to cover this topic. Well, here's the really cool thing about it. This friend of mine comes to me and he goes, Eric, He's an inventor. He goes, Eric, I've invented the cure for ED. I'm like, well, good for you, pal. He goes, no, no, no. <laughs> you, you, uh, you have to try it and you have to talk about it. I said, but I don't have ED, dude. So it's, he goes, no, no, no. Let me explain something to you, Eric. ED is, 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 uh, is, a, is an issue that's going to happen for every man because you have plaque in your bloodstream. Hence, it gets in your heart's way. It gets in your appendages way, too. Plaque in your bloodstream. And so what they do in the sex clinics is they use they use they use sound waves and they uh, they go up and down your 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 appendage with these sound waves and it breaks up the plaque and you have better blood flow. It's a simple academic and easy to fix. So when he tells me this, I'm like, okay, but you know, how do you prove that and how do you say it works when you know it's all kind of subjective? He said it's not subjective, it is objective. It will clear the plaque from all the things you have in your appendage and you'll have and you'll have better blood flow, then you'll have better sex life, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I started using it to check it out. It kind of works. I mean, I can't say it's 100% because I didn't have ED, but I can say I have better blood flow. It's kind of cool. And it kind of blew my mind that 
that here we have an issue every man is going to have, and here we have a remedy for it. So it made such good sense to me that I said, yeah, we'll talk about this for my friend. So that's why I'm here to talk about it, because it makes sense. We're all going to have the issue, so why not take care of it before it is an issue? Yeah. Eliza, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I really do. I think that we have to unshroud, take away the shroud of shame on so sure. many things that are just a beautiful part of it, right? And people speaking more openly, we obviously really crave and desire that. And, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have intimate relationships just to make babies. You know, it's a part of our, of our life and our existence. And, and it's definitely the, the subject. Our intimate relationships are the subject of most movies, books, music, um, you know, plays. Just think about it. We're pretty obsessed. So, you know, we don't really, we don't like drugs, so we don't like side effects and, and various dangers. So this is harmless and helpful. And if you go on getmyphoenix.com, getmyphoenix.com, and you see the testimonials, I mean, it's, it's, it's really uplifting. I mean, no pun intended, the, <laughs> the people are so happy. <laughs> it changed their lives for the better. So the Phoenix is pretty fabulous. The the other day we were on the uh, the Dr. Drew show and uh, Dr. Drew gets behind this. He says, "Yeah, you know, uh, in like theory, this is the answer to it to break up the plaque. That is the answer." So my uh, my uh, my friend is really onto something, and I want to support him because I'm told one day I be. So I want to get ready. Well, thank you, Eric and Eliza for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. We've been all over your social media, so have a look. We've just been kind of liking and hearting and, and, you know, commenting. Thank you so much. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. Today's episode of the Open Mic Podcast is brought to you by Cheap Seat Entertainment.